This is episode two of the Hit By podcast. It is August 9th, 2021. We're past the trade deadline. We're coming up on the stretch run of Major League Baseball season. There's lots of exciting stuff to get to on and off the field this week. Cubs and Sox cross town series just happened. Not so great for my Cubs, a little bit better for Lucas's White Sox. And the White Sox are coming back into full health for the stretch run. Such an exciting team to watch. We'll break it down for you. The Mets, on the other hand, and the NL East are tanking. We'll break down that tank for you. And then some controversy with one of Major League Baseball's most interesting mascots in Denver over the weekend. Um, One of our podcast hosts made a popular baseball Twitter page. We'll get to that as well. And then we'll break down the trade deadline even more since we didn't talk about it enough on our last episode, in addition to some other musings. Yeah, we got a good one uh, set. This is Hit by Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. Larry Larson, episode two, Hit by Pod. Let's start it off on a good note for myself. This past weekend had the Crosstown Classic, Cub Sox. Um, I'll be honest, went to one of the games. Wish I could have gone to all three because every single one of them had one of those feelings that as a White Sox fan, this is what I've been waiting for. Uh, White Sox won all three games, swept the Cubs. What were the scores? Eight, six, and ten first game. Uh, four nothing game two Saturday. And then uh, what was the score last night? I don't, I don't know, and I don't care. A lot to yeah, a little. You're bragging at this point, Lucas. Oh, There's no need so for it. All, all we need to know, White Sox swept the Cubs. It wasn't good. It wasn't particularly close. And frankly, the White Sox did what they were supposed to do. So in my opinion, there's not that much to talk about. Yeah, that's honestly a common trend. Every time the, the White Sox beat a, a good team, everyone else will say, or a, a bad team, rather, everyone else will say, oh, they're, they're a triple-A roster. That's Everyone's going to beat them. They're in the AL Central. They're playing the Cubs. And then, you know what? We beat the team we needed to. Yeah, and it felt good. I was hoping for a sweep. I think, you know, every game we went out with a better nine. So that's obviously what you, you need to see. And the good playoff teams are going to beat the teams they need to beat. So it was more of a good sign to not see like a collapse or anything wrong than it was a good sign to see all three of those wins is more, it felt more of an expectation, which uh, can't say I felt that way as a Sox fan in a long, long time. You know, last year it started to feel like the tide was turning between the Cubs and white Sox. As we established in the first episode, Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of both teams. Foremost, I'm a Cubs fan, but I enjoy watching the white Sox. I'd like to see them win, but the Cubs Sox rivalry is just different, right? My brother's a White Sox fan. I know I'm going to hear it from him if the Cubs don't at least manage a few wins against the White Sox every year. So it's a little different that weekend. And before this year's series, I tweeted that, you know, it's a big weekend for the Cubs because this is their playoffs. This is as close as they're going to get to a playoff atmosphere. And Steve Stone tweeted something or said something similar on the television broadcast, I got to watch the open and the first few innings of Friday's game before I went off and, and broadcasted some collegiate summer ball. And he said, this is their world series. This is a big deal for the Cubs. So you got to be careful. And I saw some people on Twitter were getting upset about that. They were offended that Steve stone said, this is their world series. That There's nothing to be offended by, by that. 
because uh, it's reality. Exactly. It's reality check. I don't know like if people are taking it personal, but breaking news, the Cubs are bad this year. That's just the bottom line. Does that mean that they can't go out there and beat the White Sox maybe one or two out of three games? No. Yeah, and, and I don't think he was even trying to say like, oh, this is all they have to look forward to. I think he was more saying, you know, this is a team that's really got nothing to lose. This is something that, you know, they're not going to have many games this the rest of the season. They're going to give them like an edge or a reason to want to win this game super badly. But these are one of those games. These are that, you know, the crosstown every year. Is, it's kind of a, like you said, just always the better, the best um, series of the season, I think, for a White Sox fan at least. You know, it's the most competitive. Every game's close, even when both the teams are bad, except for this year. But, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, all the credit in the world to the Cubs fans, too, because game two, 40,000 people, more than 40,000 people were out there. I mean, that was the most probably the most packed um, like stadium or arena I've ever been in. It was insane to see all those people out there. I, and I know White Sox fans love you guys. When the White Sox are bad, people don't go to the games. Maybe they had a bit of a more prolonged stretch where you're not going to get like the big fandoms where people don't start falling in love with teams so then in a few years they're still not going so they never had that but I mean we haven't had 40,000 I don't even know if we can get 40,000 in our stadium but credit to the Cubs fans for still going out to see a bad team because that's kind of exactly what the Cubs are right now yeah the Cubs are a triple-a roster and um I I saw a tweet from a White Sox fan following the series and they said Whenever a Cubs fan says, congrats, you beat a triple-A team, show them this. And it was, I think, the White Sox lineup from game two of a doubleheader this May where they had Adam Eaton in there. They had a bunch of guys who aren't even on the 40-man roster anymore in that lineup. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, that's, that's a good point. It kind of puts things in perspective for you how well the White Sox have done and their roster largely until even this week has just been beleaguered. I mean, no Eloy Jimenez, no Luis Robert in there. And you think, oh, maybe that takes 10 or 15 wins away from that team at the end of the year. But that wasn't the case. And you got to hand that to Rick Hahn and, unfortunately enough, Tony La Russa, uh, for doing a fantastic job with that team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a lot to be impressed about with the White Sox right now. Yeah, I think I, I mean, a lot of people wanted to find a reason not to give Tony credit, but at this point, he really put up with a, like an average team at best. We had, you know, a few good players still. Yoan had his hot streaks. Yerman was the best player in the league for a month, so that helped out. But, Broke of luck. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> He's retired. <laughs> but, you know, you got to give Tony credit at some point because he really took an average team and turned them to a, a double-digit lead. I mean, I remember – in the division that is, but I remember in the off season, just watching all the, you know, the white Sox hype, like as soon as they lost to the A's, I'm like, all right, but next year, like we're just getting better. You know, the next year we're going to have a better year than this. And I haven't, I still haven't seen the team that I'm watching all these hype videos for, you know, once we get Yasmani back, I think that'll really be, we'll have the full healthy team, but this was the first game since that last game in the Oakland A's playoff series in 2020 that um, Eloy and Luis Robert have played together. Like, it's crazy to think that those two bats have not even uh, been on the field this entire year. And we still have, you know, the largest division lead in, in baseball. We still really one of the AL powerhouses without even having two of our best bats. Um, plus, Yasmani, just probably one of our best overall hitters, um, even in our lineup for extended periods of time. 
So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to give Tony credit. Rick Hahn, too. He's done a great job. I mean, the Cesar Hernandez trade, filling the hole for Nick Madrigal, because that injury really sucked. He was hitting over 300, you know, getting doubles. He had a couple homers this year. Nick Madrigal, look at him go. And we put, you know, 20 on our roster or 18 at the time with Caesar. So that hole's filled and, and you know, knock on wood that, that you know, injury isn't, injuries aren't a problem going forward. But this team's healthy now. And, I mean, these last few games, really tonight too, 11 to 1 against the Twins we're filming here on uh, Monday night. But this team's looking real good. And today, Gio had a great game. And when the pitching and offense are both clicking, that's what that's the hype videos that I'm looking for. I just look at the live game. I don't need hype anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, I did watch the White Sox game tonight because uh, the Cubs got rained out, and so did the Rockford Rivets, the team I broadcast for, so I had a little more time. So I flipped on the White Sox game, um, and if this doesn't sum up kind of the White Sox season as a whole, I was scrolling through Twitter before the game, and I saw, I think it was NBC Sports Chicago tweet that Jason Benetti – wasn't going to be on the broadcast because he got COVID. And I think somebody made a joke. It may have been Jason himself that said, you know, go figure. Even the broadcaster goes down this season. That kind of epitomizes the whole deal. But, I mean, Eloy Jimenez, dude. I mean, going back to the Cubs-White Sox series, I was listening to the Sunday Night Baseball game on a road trip on the way back to Rockford. I I like to listen to baseball broadcasts to – kind of kill some time and of course on Sunday night that's the only game on so I was forced to listen to a blowout (laughs) but it was the fifth inning or something and the Cubs had their middle inning play-by-play broadcaster in there and he was talking about Jimenez career stats against the Cubs you know four home runs a batting average of well over 300 a slugging percentage of 600 or 700 and I'm thinking they're sitting there thinking Oh my goodness, you know, thinking about the uh, the trade that the Cubs made for him and and all that. And then boom, Jimenez hits another home run. <laughs> I mean, five home runs against the Cubs and these two teams don't play each other that often. And I think Jimenez has played in what? Like maybe 3 or 4 series overall against the Cubs and he's hit five home runs against him. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, he's talked about it too. I mean, he's been he's been vocal with the media saying, you know, Cubs fans hate me. You know, they don't want to see me do it, but he's such a funny guy with the media either way that, yeah, I mean, of course, how can you not notice when you're playing against the team that traded you? It's a crosstown. I'm sure he hears it all the time. And so, yeah, great for him. He's crushing the ball and especially coming back from injury too. And then you don't know what he's going to be like. He had one homer up until the game that he hit the two next ones. So, you know, we haven't seen what he's, if he's going to have that crazy power. And then he shows up against the Cubs right when we need him and he just hammers the ball. Yeah. And yeah, glad that he does it against the Cubs too. I mean, the Yankees, he he had uh, two home runs his first game uh, that he hit a home run. He hit two against the Yankees. So if he just turns into a good team killer, then I'll take that. Shoot, shoot we'll have him in the playoffs. We'll, we'll keep that nice because we need, I think the White Sox issue um, is good pitching. And I think we really ran into that issue right before Eloy came back. And having him in the lineup, I think he's going to be the one guy who kind of gets us going when we're facing those good pitchers, good right-handed pitchers too. Um, That's kind of been the White Sox issue from what I think. Um, And that'll be huge. I think Eloy's going to be uh, great in the playoffs because of that reason uh, in particular. Yeah, I think Jimenez 
in terms of him, good things come in pairs. I mean, he hit two more home runs tonight when I was watching at the first one in the first inning. And then in the fifth inning, I, I was kind of sidetracked. I was doing something else and I saw him hit a ball. I was like, no way again. Um, so it's just, he's that type of player where you can't really look away when he's that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but you bring up that good pitching point. I mean, the White Sox beat Kyle Hendricks. And if there was a guy that was going to win the Cubs a game in that crosstown series, it was going to mm-hmm. be Kyle Hendricks and then Adbert Alzali, and they beat them both. And at that point, I was like, all right, well, we got Zach Davies starting on Sunday on Sunday Night Baseball. We haven't performed on Sunday Night Baseball all season long. It's over. Um, and it, it certainly was. Didn't take long for that assumption to, uh, to be correct. No, no, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, a team maybe on the opposite trajectory of the White Sox. Let's talk a little NL East action. Talk about the New York Mets, who I thought one of my favorite teams going into the beginning of the year um, made the huge trade for Francisco Lindor, gave him that huge contract. I thought that was great. Loved their team Um, last year. You know, they had some bullpen issues and really didn't. They've kind of underperformed every year ever. And kind of like how we're going to talk about they are doing now. But, yeah, seriously, just over the weekend going from first place to third place in the NL East. Uh, Philly's now taking that lead. I don't know if they're going to look back. Bryce Harper playing at an MVP level since the All-Star break. Larry, what do you think's happening in the NL East right now? What's up with the Mets? What isn't up with the Mets? I, I mean, just everything that can go wrong has gone wrong for them, it seems. First, it was injuries. Uh, it looked like Javi was hurt a little bit. I'm not sure if he's seriously injured or going on the IL or what the case is there, but I had seen that he got injured and everybody started getting injured. And that's one thing. I mean, the White Sox know that very well. You know, you get dudes injured. That's the one thing you really can't control in terms of baseball. There are a lot of things you feel like you can't control, but you really can't control injuries. Um, and then, like you mentioned, the pitching, the bullpen, and then they go on the road to Philadelphia that's the last place you want to play if you're starting to tank. The Philly fans, they got that taste that, oh, we're close. We're right on the Mets' tail. Fans came out. They were right on them. You know, Bryce Harper, their big money man, had some clutch hits. I think he hit a game tying or maybe even walk-off home run one of those games uh, that really put the dagger in one of those games. That'll get you going. And the Phillies are hot at the right time. I mean, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. And the Mets are two and eight in their last 10 games. And that really tells the story there. And for me, I mean, talking trade deadline, the Mets traded for Javier Baez. They didn't really trade for any bullpen pieces. The Phillies didn't do a whole ton at the deadline either. They didn't need bats. They needed pitching. They went out and got a few bullpen arms. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're performing pretty well. Uh, so in my opinion, it kind of goes back to pitching and defense wins games to a certain extent. And I was – Looking at uh, some stuff on Sunday during the day um, before the Phillies-Mets games or game, and I saw it was Roy Holiday Day at Citizens Bank Park, obviously honoring Roy Holiday, who's killed a few years back. And then Zach Wheeler started, a former Mets pitcher, and he went out there and threw like eight scoreless and retired 16 straight batters And that was like the first time that a Phillies pitcher had retired 16 straight batters since Roy Holiday threw his perfect game with the Phillies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad. And I was thinking to myself, 
if there was a weekend where it was destined to go wrong for the Mets, it was this weekend. Everything that went wrong did go wrong. And it's just a perfect storm. And it kind of, I think any Mets fan would tell you they kind of expect it to happen every year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you nailed it on the head. I saw a really good clip of Joe Girardi post game uh, after Sunday's game where Wheeler just, I think it was a complete game, two hitter or something like that. Um, talking about, you know, that was a Roy game right there. That was, that was, that's basically what Roy did. He, he just went out there. He has some crazy stats about like the most complete games. He played a little earlier on when that was more common when pitchers, you know, they'd go 120, 130 pitches more often. He was, he was always one of my favorite pitchers, but that, I mean, he nailed that. That was a Roy game. And yeah, for the Mets just sucks that, you know, the injuries, like you said, Javi getting hurt after, I don't think he was doing too hot. He had that home run his first game and then he had a little five strikeout game this past week too. So, you know, I don't know. I think he was still bad and kind of similar to his Cubs slash line still with the Mets just in the small sample size, but obviously they made that big trade for him that that injury kills. If I'm sure the clubhouse hated that too, because if you're trying to make a move going all in for someone making that seem like you're, you know, trying to win a division, he gets hurt, you lose the series, your owner's on Twitter every single day saying, <laughs> oh, I feel good about this one. Oh, I feel good about this one. Like, I think uh, the offense is going to get it going this weekend. Yeah, just spoke to the guys. Those bats are hot. <laughs> okay, go back to your booth. <laughs> the, the whole uh, Steve Cohen thing is so weird to me. I, I think at first it was kind of cool that, mm-hmm. oh, this owner, he's so accessible to the fans. But now it's just like, okay, here's a, here's another rich guy trying to be relatable to everybody who yeah. is you know, putting money into this guy's pocketbooks, and then the team's underperforming. Yeah. So now you see why my why most owners don't do that. Exactly. Why he's the only exactly. one out there doing you, that. You see why Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't have a Twitter page. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's just it would it would be nonsensical. He should uh, aim for more Mark Cuban type than yes, exactly. He's be like that. Yeah, Mark Cuban, cool guy. Uh, I, yeah. I think he's he might be the one sports owner yeah, that, don't, that can pull off. Don't the pass whole... the Cuban line. If you're yes, an owner yes, and you're exactly. across the Cuban line, it's like the it used to be the Andy Dalton line, where if you're this was probably five years ago. If your quarterback is worse than Andy Dalton, you need to go get a new quarterback. <laughs> now, now we got the Cuban line, where if your owner tweets more than Mark Cuban, it might it might be time to sell. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's great. Uh, that's we, we got to like make some sort of chart about that. Yeah, right. Steve Cohen's way over that line. Steve Cohen, he, yeah, he's, he's breaking the line. charts. Be I a, mean, I, I really can't think of any other MLB owner that has a Twitter account to begin with. I can't even think of any other MLB owner. Honestly, I feel like they're just kind of, you know, mostly they're old. old men. They're all yeah. old white guys. Exactly. Uh, yeah. it's, that is the demographic for most most sports owners baseball Uh, is just personified at the top yes exactly you know it it would be good to get a little more diverse blood in there and i think that's something that we're going to start seeing uh in the future Um, yeah kim ing first female general manager yes and then of course Derek jeter who is he's far from the majority owner of the marlins he's got like a two percent stake but they made him like the face you know Mm -hmm. so i think the marlins are going for that like cool owner five type thing yeah Yeah, we'll see if that kind of kind of helps them out one more thing with the Mets Uh, I of course they start to tank and they get killed in the New York papers you see all the headlines on the back page of the the post and all that stuff and those are always fun to look at especially when the teams are bad when they're good not so much because who likes to see New York win when New York loses it's so much fun to read I think Luis Rojas 
the Mets manager, I think he's taken this entirely the wrong way. He came out, I think, on Sunday after they lost during the press conference, and he said something like, we need the fans to be positive right now. Nothing's going to help the fans except positivity. Dude, do you know where you you manage? You you manage (laughs) in New York City. If there's one thing you cannot say, it's that. We need the fans to be positive. We've lost four straight. We We were swept by the Phillies. We're two and eight in our last 10 games. We bought at the deadline. Our owner's talking his talk on Twitter, and we can't win. That's the last thing you can come out and say, oh, be positive. When the expectations are high, when you're in New York, the biggest city in the United States, with some of the most negative sports fans in the entire state, you can't just say, be positive. We're trailing two teams that didn't really buy at the deadline. That's just not how it works. You got to flip that mentality in that locker room. These next few games for the Mets are must win. If they keep losing, I think they're done. I mean, you look at the the standings. The Phillies are hot. Obviously, we've got two months of baseball left, and it's hard to say, oh, you know, ride the hot hand right now. Phillies are looking good. The only team with a positive run differential in the NL East is the Atlanta Braves, plus 65. The Phillies are negative five. The Mets are negative 18. And I think that's the one true um, stat that kind of determines who's really a good team. The Braves have been really unlucky. It's only a matter of time before their luck starts to even out and they get hot. And then the Mets have a really tough schedule. I think the toughest in Major League Baseball in these last two months. If they don't start winning, they're sunk. They're done. Luis Rojas needs to turn around that narrative and, and say, okay, we need to win now. We understand the expectations are high. You know, that positivity from the fans, you know, isn't expected. Yeah. I think I look at the NL East right now and I think that's the AL central. If the white Sox didn't, if the white Sox were just not, you know, if they were any other team or the, any other white Sox team, it's like, they just have a bunch of okay teams, which I mean, Detroit's played their stretch of good ball. Cleveland was okay before they sold half their team. You know, it's just a bunch of like 500 and teams. It's just the NL East doesn't have like a good team. And so every, you know, each team's just kind of going to be like, oh yeah, we're, we're doing really good this weekend. And then you're a 500 team. I mean, what the Braves went foolish baseball tweeted like every single day that the Braves went win, loss, win, loss, win, loss for almost like three weeks. Yes. It was ridiculous. It was like I the saw most, that. there's the exact 500 for forever. But yeah, which is insane. You can't rely on that forever if you're the Mets, which is kind yeah. of what happened because you mentioned the Francisco Lindor signing in the offseason. The Mets are really kind of the only team in that division that did anything over the offseason. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of helped him out in the first half of the season. Obviously, if you have better players and, and bigger signings, bigger names, that's going to help you out at the end of the day. Uh, but baseball's a funny game sometimes. You get bad breaks. Lindor gets injured for a good while this season. Jeff McNeil, who started the season hot, got injured. The Mets pitching staff is always injured. They've still got yeah. Jacob DeGrom, who can't be healthy, even though right. he's so good. Um, if there's one player the Mets need right now, it's Jacob DeGrom because he's the stopper. You know, he's the guy that you can send out there and Every get your game. guaranteed win, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, because. Taewon Walker was an all-star and he's been like the worst starting pitcher in the major leagues after the all-star break. That's so frustrating. He was on my fantasy team too. Um, He he had that one start against the pirates where the whole foul ball controversy where he went to like pick up the ball (laughs) off the foul line. And then he hit it like by the dugout and 
gave up something like six or seven runs in the first inning. That was the week in my fantasy season where I lost by, I think, two or three points or something like that, and I was marginally in the playoff race. I lost by like a handful of points, maybe five or six. And Taiwan Walker's start was negative 19 points. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I was at that point, I was like, all right, well, I, I think I'm done with fantasy baseball for the year. I don't really have <laughs> much more time to pay attention to this. Taiwan Walker has always been a guy that I believed in uh, ever since his Mariners days. Mm-hmm. His stuff is electric. He I mean, was you watch one of his starts. He's got some of the best stuff in major league baseball, but injuries have riddled him. And as a result, he hasn't really been consistent. So it's been tough to watch. Um, but you mentioned he just has not been the same since the all-star break. Yeah, that pitching, I mean, it's it's the Mets issue every single year. DeGrom, I know he tweeted today, or he didn't tweet, but there was a tweet talking about something to him, um, him saying that he's just not really sure if he's going to pitch again this year. He's not ready to call it, call it quits <laughs> on the year. He's not ready to say that he'll be done. Like, he still thinks that I think they have to take a look at, like, one more MRI in august or like the 13th of august i think and then that's going to tell more but i thought at least early on that this was just like some inflammation just going to let it go down give him a week or two Uh and you know let let him go on down to single a and dominate the cardinals yeah you know i'm tweet about it and then he's back (laughs) but they've just (laughs) lost their entire team since then Uh uh-huh like and they just have collapsed completely because they don't have him it's just that's the most Mets thing ever, isn't yeah. it? You know, they, they've got all these great starters. Zach Wheeler leaves. He goes to the Phillies. He dominates the Mets amidst their downfall. Uh, and then Jacob deGrom is having one of the best seasons in Major League Baseball history, and he can't stay healthy. And then how about this? Noah Syndergaard. What when the hell happened to Noah Syndergaard? Where, where is he? Like, is he injured? He's on, <laughs> I know he, he's injured, but... What's I see deal? him in the dugout every game and I see him like tweeting at Trevor Bauer. And that's the only time I ever see his name. Like he doesn't, I, when was the last time he threw a ball? Um, okay. I just Googled Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard throws off mound again and other injury updates. Okay. So uh, there's positive Copy, news paste. The Mets. Copy, paste. I'm sure <laughs> that's been the same article for the last month. Hold on. I'm going to see when the last time he pitched was. I mean, 2019, he did not pitch a pitch in 2020, and he appeared in 32 games in 2019 and had a 4-2-8 ERA. He used to be one of those guys where you just chalk him up like, yeah, oh, they got a good staff. They got DeGrom, Syndergaard, and you start at that. But, I mean, what we have no idea what he's even going to pitch like. Well, 2015, he was kind of that guy obviously, because he got the Mets to the World Series. And then 2016, yeah. he had a Cy Young caliber year, uh, 2.60 ERA and 30 games started. Uh, he was fantastic. Then 2017 was one of those injury years. He only pitched 30 innings. 2018, um, he came back, looked pretty good, 3-3 ERA. Um, and then 2019, obviously something was off. And I think he had to have Tommy John again or something, but – yeah, Just so I mean, he hasn't got to be so frustrating if you're a Mets fan. Years. Yeah. Right. Gosh. I mean, that's how many of those guys have they had where it's just like so many good players? That that Matt 2015 Harvey. starting rotation. Yeah. If you look that up, I mean, that's just a sob story now. Yeah. Literally, Matt Harvey, Noah Syndergaard, neither of them are pitching. Well, Harvey still is. Actually, he had a good month, but he's on the Orioles. So barely. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> 
congrats on that. You're uh, <laughs> you're making your team's draft stock worse. Yeah, right. That's why they like you. you Got to <laughs> carry that sexy All right, Larry. Right. I want to talk about a pretty big story over the past day, day or two, and that is with the Colorado Rockies mascot, Mr. Dinger. You know, you normally think of a dinger as a great baseball moment. Someone hits a dinger. Awesome. Sweet. Crowd goes wild. Everyone's cheering. Everyone's happy. Yeah. Dingers, home runs, offense. Not for some people, not for Mr. Lewis Brinson. He no, did not like that no. dinger. So <laughs> for those of you who didn't see video, I remember just going through Twitter and seeing actually just a tweet about it. Someone, I think it was like a verified account said, wow, just watching TV and you could audibly hear someone yell the N-word multiple times in the middle of the broadcast, loud enough for TV cameras to pick up. And then I see this video and it's this guy. Well, you know, you know, it's just the TV film and you just hear what sounds to be like a guy just yelling the N-word while a black man is at bat. And so, of course, initial instinct is this dude's just yelling the N-word at this guy batting right now. But so then it comes out. I think this was that was what yesterday and then today. I think it was Saturday. I think it was. Yes, it happened Sunday. Yeah. So then today you wake up and and everyone now the story is the guy was just yelling for the mascot. He just wanted to take a picture with the freaking purple dinosaur. He's not racist. He just wants a picture with the goddamn mascot. What were we thinking? So every single MLB guy on Twitter now, Bob Nightingale, I, sh- I should have never jumped to conclusions. I should have never said that. Oh, I, I just I didn't have the facts right. Yeah. It sounded like it, but that is very true. Well, here's here's my thing. Here's my thing. Before we really get into the the background of this story, which is this mascot, which is actually funny, how this started, it's so disturbing, right? And you're watching a broadcast and you hear that yelled when you've got a, a black player who's hitting. I, got I mean, come on. Right here. A- after everything that happened last year, I mean, I understand why people reacted the way they did. I I reacted that way, just because it was it was such a a strange moment. You you would hope that this country has moved past that. Me personally, obviously, there's there's a long way for us to go um, and a lot of people to go, um, and I, I feel like there was a lot of disappointment in in people's reactions that like, oh, really, we're still doing this in 2021. And now this morning, I saw the Rockies post about it or a statement or some report. I was like, you've got to be joking. You can't make this up. And then you've got people like Clay Travis out there being like, oh, this is such a joke. Of course, who would yell an N-word at a baseball game? It's like, yeah. Clay, you think nobody's racist, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, screw off. Fuck Clay Travis. That's yeah. the one F-bomb I'm going to drop on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was in that off. same boat. We'll, um, I'll, I'll play this video real quick. So we'll hear what, what, what it sounds like. And I'll be honest, we won't play this video because it kind of <laughs> does definitely sound like it. <laughs> and so I definitely thought that as well. I thought, wow, that's crazy. Someone just yelled that in the middle of an MLB game. That's crazy. And <laughs> thank God we woke up today and that racist man was just make-believe. It was... It's such a bizarre story. You have a hard time believing it, right? Yeah. It's, you hope it's not true. And and for that reason, 
people and Luis Brinson, the guy who was hitting, who was supposedly yelled at to begin with, a lot of people don't believe it. They don't buy it, which I understand, especially and it's easy for me and you to laugh about it because we're white. Um, but if you're a black person, I mean, I don't know if I'd buy it. Um, yeah. There's that perspective. But then the, the funny side of it is, I mean, this mascot, I followed this Twitter account for a while that's like made this persona around this Rockies mascot. And it's just this goofy, I mean, it's a mascot, right? You know, it's funny. Their, their job is to, you know, be funny and be goofy. And it created this uproar. And somebody posted, I saw so many good tweets about this. Somebody said this purple thing has the world in shambles and it's just a picture of this mascot. And it, it's the, it is so funny. Yeah, I can't most, believe it. The most controversial dinosaur of all time, right up there with Barney. We already talked about it. We know yeah, that. And, and now it's going to be the next Clay Travis podcast episode. How woke people are killing the Rockies mascot. Dinger has to change his name. Cancel this is culture. such a controversy. People are losing their jobs. What does America come to? It's going to be <laughs> so stupid. Um, my favorite tweet about this whole situation was from this Twitter account that I follow um, entitled MLB Insider Dinger. And he tweeted, new Rockies mascot will be a guy who moved from California to Colorado, quote, because of the taxes, but the annual savings is like $300. He will enter the field on the ski rack of a Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the Colorado Ian. Yes. Nailed it. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Larry, I think I think we'll probably get uh, maybe a little John Boy breakdown of what happened this past weekend. And we'll see maybe. that. We'll see that right next to a video of our own Larry Larson who kind of went famous over the weekend. I know, I just saw a video. Broadcaster, broadcaster thinks it's a ball, but why don't we hear from the man himself, Larry? What happened with this call that wasn't? Oh, boy. So, this goes back to Friday night. Rockford Rivets taking on the Lakeshore Chinooks. Little Northwoods League action. Uh, Collegiate summer baseball. Two teams out of playoff contention. It's a close game. Tied at two. Top of the ninth inning. Bottom of the ninth inning, I should say. Our leadoff hitter is at the plate. He falls down in the count, 0-2. He works all the way back. It's a full count. Their pitcher throws a slider trying to get our hitter to chase. Left-handed batter. And he takes this ball that is, I mean, it's a slider that, that can be described as strike to ball. Uh, it started belt high, broke outside, and by the end of the pitch, the catcher's glove was on the ground. He caught this ball. I'm trying to think. It would be his glove side, and he reached outside and caught it on the ground. And so I'm thinking, all right, obvious ball four. Here we are. Leadoff man's on, bottom of the ninth. That changes the trajectory of things. So I start saying ball four, and then all of a sudden from my angle, I see the umpire wave his arm up like this. I'm thinking, oh, no. No way. I'm in the middle of saying ball four and the umpire rings him up on the most obvious ball of all time. Yeah, it wasn't close. And so I'm, you can hear me start to say four on the clip. I say ball called strike three (laughs) and our camera and production crew 
did such a phenomenal job because right after the called strike, they cut to our hitter's face, Brody Harding, sophomore from Illinois. And his mouth is agape. I mean, his <laughs> jaw is on the dirt. I mean, eyes wide open. He could not believe it. And behind him, even Lakeshore's manager was like looking at his, his assistant coach like they called that a strike. What the hell? And so it, it was very much that just happened moment. What the heck just happened? And um, so obviously somebody clipped it up. They must have sent it into John Boy right after it happened. They posted it early in the morning. Somebody sent it to me like, Larry, you're on John Boy. This is your call that's on John Boy. That's crazy. I'm thinking to myself, what the heck? Of, of all the things I expected to happen this summer, that was not on the list. I mean, a lot of the crazy things happen in collegiate summer ball. Just because it's it's the weird world of baseball, you got a bunch of dudes from all over the country from different schools coming to play together, you're going to get some weird stuff happening. But the umpires in the Northwoods League are notoriously bad. <laughs> and this has happened in the past where a player will clip up a bad call and send it into a sports page. I remember Foul Pole Sports was a popular one last summer. And the Northwoods League went on the warpath against Foul Pole Sports. And so one of our players clipped up a play of a really bad call from an umpire, sent it into foul pole sports. The Northwoods League tracked that down and suspended our player for sending a bad call into foul pole sports. So That's somebody crazy. sent this into John Boy. I'm thinking, okay, who sent it into John Boy? Who's getting cut for the rest of the summer? <laughs> and I'm texting with my webcast director. I'm texting with the interns. Because I know one of our webcast interns, supposedly he sent it into John Boy. And so I'm like, oh, God. I was like, whatever you do, don't tell anybody you sent that in. Just deny <laughs> it. Just deny it. He's like, well, somebody must have sent it in before me because I sent it out at 9 o'clock. And they posted it right at 9 o'clock this morning. So I think Dang. a player sent it in. Um, and nobody's gotten in trouble. That's how bad the call was. And I quote tweeted it. And I'm thinking, should I even quote tweet this? Is the league going to get on me? Because they're, they get so easily offended by, you know, when people rip on their umpires and even Will Gray, you know, the guy who's sitting here listening to us record this podcast was saying, Larry, why didn't you rip into the umpire? Well, number one, I think everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has bad days. I don't like to rip on the umpires. That was maybe the worst call of all time, but still, you know, that, these yeah. umpires are, are still learning just like the players are and the broadcasters. Everybody's developing. It's a learning experience. Sure. Did that call maybe cost the rivets the game? Maybe it could have, but still, I, I don't like to rag on the umpires. I kind of let the whole thing speak for itself. Um, and I, I was at the end of the day, I was kind of just as surprised as everybody else was in the ballpark. So I was at a loss for words. Um, so I just kind of ball f called strike three. And, and that was that. Larry, it sounds to me like the Northwoods League is kind of like, like a dictatorship. Like where if you, if you say they do one thing wrong, you're losing your job. <laughs> you cannot speak out against, Lucas, against Big Brother. Tell you what, brother. I've got six more games as the voice <laughs> of the Rockford Rivets. On maybe week four or week five of the podcast, we can talk about all the great things in the Northwoods <laughs> League. We can talk about all the bad things in the Northwoods League. Um, I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Because well, that... I'm afraid somebody's going to track me down. 
that call reminded me of the as a Joe Nathan, um, probably at least 10 years ago, as a Joe Nathan strike three bottom the ninth against um I think it was the left-handed second baseman for the Blue Jays. Uh, not Jed Lowry. Brett Lowry? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, it was the worst call I've ever seen. Same pitch. It was a right-handed changeup fading away, and it was kind of caught it in that same spot, like that like uh, right-handed batter's box, like in that corner, kind of real low, not even close. And Joe Nathan looked at the catcher like, like he called that, like the game's over. They're going to shake up, but they're like, should we even be doing this right now? And that's what, like, how can you even know that? Oh, maybe it was Ben's over. Yeah, it was a real bad call. It was real bad. But um, yeah, that's the can, thing. I mean, At the end of the day, like bad calls happen. Even yeah. major league broadcast or not broadcasters, umpires. But yeah, sure. Major league broadcasters, too. Everybody makes mistakes. It happens. Uh, so I'm not going to rip on a guy uh, that I just talked to before the game because, you know, I go and get the umpire and crew before mm-hmm. every game, make sure we've got everybody straight, you know, so-and-so's behind home plate, so-and-so's at first base. I could probably tell you the umpire's name, but, you know, for his sake, I won't. And I, <laughs> I hope he learns from it. At the end of the day, uh, it's it's all learning experience and, and we're all getting better. Um, I and I'm glad impressed. that – and at the end of the day, I'm glad that the Northwoods League didn't track anybody down because at the <laughs> end of the day – I've said at the end of the day like five times, it's all about having fun. Yeah. And awesome. we all had fun. It got posted yeah. on John Boy. We all got a good laugh about it. I quote tweeted it. Tweet blew up. I got a good laugh. I think now Brody Harding can laugh. That was his last at bat of the summer. Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> what a way to go out. I was impressed with with year end, Larry. I, I was surprised that you didn't have, say at least something. But like you said, yeah, I think you handled it real well. Because I'm sure in my head I was thinking ball holy shit that was bad that's what i would have said i would have i would have taken the well i i appreciate it you know the the one thing i was really glad this is what i've told people i'm really glad i didn't screw up the call because there are some calls where i really don't like it and i'll hear it once or twice and i'll think oh god i really wish i could have that one back Mm -hmm. like earlier in the season there was a walk-off call where my voice cracked and my delivery was really bad. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I really hope that's not my only walk-off call this summer. And it wasn't. Uh, so it all worked out. And it turns out this is the call that I'm going to hear over and over and over and over. I've heard this call like a hundred times in two or three days. Mm-hmm. Our manager hasn't gone anywhere without saying, look at, look at this call against us last night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, well, we walked into Traverse city and the locker room attendant meted us, met us, and our manager goes up to him and says, look at this call, look at this call that we just got, and I hear my voice again. And I'm just really glad I didn't screw up the call. That's yeah. the bottom line. Because there are calls that you really screw up, and I didn't flub that one, so I'm really happy. Yeah, no, kudos to you. That was good. You handled it definitely better than most would have, I think. <laughs> All right, Larry, let's get back. let's get back to the big show. Um, I want to talk, we talked about the deals mostly, uh, last week's episode at the trade deadline, of course, had a little trade deadline special. Let's talk about how the teams have been doing since those deals happened. Um, obviously we talked about the Mets earlier, you know, Javi had a good game or two, none of the guys they've only really played a week that we're going to talk about, I'm sure. But, you know, they've, some of the guys have made a real impact. You know, Kimbrell's, uh, gave up a little three run bomb, but you know, other than that, he's looked good. So obviously some of the teams have benefited from that. Um, Yankees 
they are one of those teams. Now, Rizzo was kind of their big trade, Rizzo and Gallo. Gallo's finally hitting some bombs. Rizzo's got a couple as well. Unfortunately, on the COVID list right now, uh, definitely hoping he gets good too because uh, that I'm sure that can be scary for him. He was being super careful about it, handing out hand sanitizer at the beginning of last year. Oh, yeah, um, he was he was really being super careful about it. Yeah, so I hope he's good and comes back because that I think that was a smart trade for them, getting that high on base percentage left-handed bat. And, um, you know, another division kind of on the opposite end, we got four really good teams in that division, and the Yankees uh, made the moves to uh, – take the right steps rather than the Red Sox who kind of did nothing. And we're seeing why that's not working because they've been playing some real bad ball. Yeah, they have been. I, I see like Jared Carabas tweeting about the Red Sox. I don't, I try not to take in too much bar stool as we'll get to here in a few minutes. <laughs> um, but I see his tweets about the Red Sox. I, I think he had a really funny one to start the day. He's like, today would be a great day to decide we're a good baseball team again. <laughs> I think that's how, Red Sox and Mets fans kind of feel right now like, oh, what happened to the team that we had in the first half? I, I think Boston on paper, you looked at their team before the summer and you thought, mm, I don't know if this is going to be a team that competes. And they started winning and they kept winning. And I think their front office decided, OK, this is probably a team that can keep winning. And uh, they traded for Schwarber and they're going to get sale back. I think the Red Sox are going to be OK, but. The Yankees' moves have paid off tremendously, and they so focused in on their weaknesses because they needed more left-handed hitters. Their lineup was too right-handed. They went out and got Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo, a dude that's just mashed for years and years, you put him in the short porch at Yankee Stadium, you're going to get guaranteed results. Flyouts in every other ballpark are going to be home runs at Yankee Stadium. Anthony Rizzo is going to benefit from the same thing. And that wins you baseball games. So that's smart on Brian Cashman for zeroing in on that type of effort at the trade deadline. And it's smart moves, and they're paying dividends as a result. Still six and a half games back of the first place Tampa Bay Rays, who just always outsmart everybody. I I think the Red Sox, I don't know who I like between the Red Sox and the Yankees right now. I really don't. Um I think Boston, once they get Chris Sale back, it might be a little bit like the White Sox and Eloy Jimenez, that type yeah. of effect. Yeah. You get your superstar back, and that can really give a team some juice. But there's a big difference between getting a pitcher back and getting a position player back because one guy plays every day and another doesn't. But then again, Kyle Schwarber has not played a game in a Red Sox uniform yet. He's still on the I.L. Yeah, that's a that's a move we haven't even seen anything of, like you said, because he's been hurt the entire time. Yeah, it sits right now. Yankees are only two and a half games back from Boston for that second wild card in the AL. Um, they're also banged up too, so they're going to be getting. I know Kluber's on the IL. Um, they just they probably have the most. I think they actually probably do have the most people on the IL out of any team in the league. Um, so they're. I think they're only going to get better between the two of them. Who I'd rather play right now. I think I would rather play the struggling Red Sox without a Chris Sale. They they should have been the team to make the trade for Anthony Rizzo. I think that yeah, was so underrated from the Yankees because not only they needed it, but their division rival needed it just as bad. And when you're not only taking that guy for your own team, but eliminating the possibility of them getting him, that was you know just as good for them as having him on their roster is. Um, so, yeah, I think – 
the Yankees starting pitching is kind of, of course, their bats sometimes just don't show up, but their starting pitching is really what um, fuels them. Garrett Cole, they've got some real good young pitchers too. It seems like all of them throw gas. I mean, Severino, um, Gill, who just pitched a few games, he's young uh, a few games ago. He had a really good game. Uh, they just have really a deep system and a deep team. So I think if they squeak into the playoffs, I know I said last week that they're probably the one team I don't want to face just because I think if they are all clicking, you have an MVP in Stan, you have a superstar in Aaron Judge, you have one of the best pitchers in Garrett Cole. They have the team where if they're all clicking, I think they can beat just as you know, they can beat anyone just like, just like the White Sox can, just like a few teams can, just like the Rays, of course. Um, but I think that's probably the one team I wouldn't want to face. Uh, I think Boston starting pitching is, is an issue for them. And Chris Sale is huge. And so I think that kind of saved their deadline from looking too awful. Although I still think they had one of the worst deadlines from contending teams. They just sat there while pretty much every team got better. So, yeah. um, you know, we're not even talking about Toronto either. Who's I was going to say the, the one team back. that we're not mentioning is the Blue Jays. The Yankees are eight and two in their last 10. So is Toronto. They're only a half game behind the Yankees. Yeah. And the and Yankees they... are about to play the White Sox. And Toronto oh, is yeah. still, you know, playing those home games. And the Yankees are about to run into the Sox in a series that I think the White Sox are going to be juiced up for. I mean, it's the Field of Dreams series, mm-hmm. which I really want to talk about. I mean, that. How cool is that going to be? Oh, yeah. That's like that's one of those things as a White Sox fan, you never expect your team to be picked for that. Like it seems like the life goes on and MLB goes on and the White Sox sometimes just forget, get forgotten about. You know, <laughs> you see the ESPN stats. They never want to think that the White Sox exist. And it's cool that this one game, you know, is you know, White Sox-Yankees. You know, of yeah. course, the Yankees are going to be in there. It's the Yankees, but it's cool that it's the White Sox. So, yeah, I'm super excited. Got Rodon on the bump. Um yeah, and playing in the Field of Dreams, I actually went there with my grandparents a few years ago, a lot of years ago, probably 10, 10 15 years ago. But <laughs> Time flies. Yeah, super cool, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I wish I could say I was excited to watch it. I'll be watching Northwoods League Baseball, which is fine. No complaints here, seriously. I get to watch <laughs> baseball every single night for a job. Yeah. I mean, how awesome is that? But if there's one night I had to hand pick a rain out, it might be that, uh, just yeah. because how cool is that going to be? That movie is I think it encapsulates a lot of what's special about baseball and if you think about the plot that plot is so outrageous it got pitched for uh, book publishers or Hollywood a few times and got turned down or something there's the story behind it is really interesting and it got picked up and it's my person personally my favorite baseball movie and it might be my it is my favorite sports movie by far yeah, it's one of those where it's like you watch and then you watch back now and you're like, okay, maybe it isn't the perfect movie that I thought it was. But yeah, like you said, it encapsulates being a baseball fan, I feel like. No, you for me, it, honestly, a, 100% like a baseball movie. It's one of those movies that gets better every time I watch it. Oh, yeah. Like, sure, sure, the plot is, is outrageous, it's outlandish, but you know, the production, the acting is so good. And yeah. the the monologue that's delivered about, you know, time rolls on like steamroller, but baseball stands the test of time that hits me every time because it's so true. And there's so much talk nowadays about how times are changing. Baseball needs to adapt. Baseball needs to do this. Baseball needs to do that. Baseball stands the test of time. 
It's been there forever. The world's going to keep changing, but baseball is baseball. Doesn't get better than that. Exactly. We love that. All right. So Larry, do you think, you think if Barstool gets in on an MLB, you think that's something that's going to change the game? (sighs) It's opening a whole other can of worms, (laughs) a whole other can of worms that it's, this is, this is one thing just much like the Dinger controversy that I will preface and say it is beyond my pay grade. (laughs) I can see and I can understand why MLB wants to open a relationship like this, right? Because they see this is something that young people gravitate to. But the main thing that people argue about on Twitter and the main people out of the main narrative that I saw on Twitter surrounding this today was that sure young people gravitate towards Barstool, but they all look the same. And they're all they all look like me and Lucas. They're all, you know, 21 year old, 22 year old college kids, mainly white, mainly male. And the tweet I saw over and over and over again was sure it grows the game, but it alienates half of the audience that baseball is trying to grow, which is women, which is minorities, you know, and largely, you know, big, big populations, big audiences that are highly valuable to major league baseball teams. They're not going to like this and it would be a bad idea and it would probably turn them away from the game. So obviously whenever you're working with Barstool, there's some controversy and I think, that's up to Major League Baseball. This is why I don't get paid to make the decisions. That's up to them. They want to handle the heat. I don't know. You can figure it out. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think um, it's just all it's all money driven, obviously. And I, I am a fan of a lot of Barstool stuff, but I, I would not say I'm like a huge – I don't think that they need to be in everything. I don't want to see a Barstool – betting baseball game i don't think that that would be something that really interests me i'm sure there is a market for that maybe that's people who and maybe that is who they're targeting the people who wouldn't normally watch a baseball game but they would if they could make some money off of it but from a so i can see why barstool for sure would want to be in on baseball because i mean there's so many things that you can bet on in baseball you can bet any outcome of any at bat you know 27 at the very minimum at bats for each team every game there's infinite possibilities that you can make money on but from the mlb standpoint baseball is such a old white dude sport just in every aspect i mean every announcer is an old white dude every (laughs) well you know for the most part every owner like we talked about is an old white dude every uh manager old white dude you know it's like Okay, so now we're making a deal that's going to get a bunch of, you know, 21-year-old college white dudes to come watch some baseball games and have a betting party with their friends when the local team does this. And we're going to get, you know, a few fringe people who might not have watched but would Uh want to watch if, you know, they're going to make money. But is that what is – I mean, I don't think that's going to grow the game necessarily. That's not going to make a new audience say – oh, this, you know, hey, why don't you go play baseball? We can watch baseball. We're now baseball fans because Barstool's streaming a baseball game. Like, so I'm I'm sure it's not, I mean, obviously it's not their solution to growing the game. This is not what they're they're doing to 
but know, it's something. I yeah, mean, actions, is, actions speak louder than yeah. words, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So here they are trying to grow the game this way. I don't think it's the right way to go about it. I'm I'm in the same boat as you. They had this stream. I mean, honestly, I, I'm not really one to watch alternate streams. I watch the Major League uh, Game of the Week every week, Sunday Night Baseball, if I have a chance to watch it. Sometimes I'll watch, you know, StatCast Home Run Derby mm-hmm. if I have a chance. But even, like, playoff games or even for football games when they've got these alternate broadcasts, like, team stream for the final four where you get a specific team broadcasts on one channel and then the other team on another channel. And then you've got four different broadcasts. I don't care. I want to hear my local announcer. There's a reason I watch, you know, my team's channel. There's a reason that, and especially coming from me, this is a different perspective because I'm a broadcaster and I study these guys. You know, there's a reason I'm watching a particular broadcaster. There's a reason I'm listening on the radio, or there's a reason I want to watch uh, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball with the volume turned up as opposed to some people who want to listen to those games on mute. Or there's a reason I'm, you know, turning on the Saturday game of the week to hear Joe Buck or Joe Davis call a game because I want to hear those guys because those are the pros and those are the guys who are going to add stuff to a broadcast. Dave Portnoy yeah. is not going to add anything to a baseball broadcast for me. I'm interested. In to fact, see, like, it's going to make it ten times worse. It's going to make it fucking annoying. Yeah. What is it going to be like? What is it? Obviously, it's early, but like, is it going to be barstool people calling baseball games? Because yeah, that's just going to make me want to watch less baseball. Is it going to be like White Sox Dave and and barstool Carl, like talking about their favorite sausages? during the middle of a game that I want to see like you. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, I love to watch Steve stone and Jason Benetti. I think they're great. I love Steve stone and Hawk Harrelson. And I think we got a great guy in Jason Benetti and I enjoy watching the games. I enjoy listening to him. And you know, I don't, they, I think they give the right amount of insight. And I feel like that's just maybe God, now that I'm listening to myself talk, maybe I'm just outdated in my viewership. Maybe I do need to branch out and listen to here's, more than just here's the baseball here's the socks, math facts. Here's something I find interesting on Twitter, the narrative. There are different narratives. So there's this narrative on one side, Joe Buck sucks. He's got no personality, so annoying, and he sucks. Then you got the other side of things. Every baseball broadcast on national television with Matt Vaskersian and Alex Rodriguez sounds like a podcast and they don't talk about the game. Where do you meet in the middle? Yeah. Where do you meet in the middle? Generally, it's it's the local broadcasts. Mm-hmm. Those please the hometown fans uh, and the national guys, in my opinion, are good. You know, if you ask me, Joe Buck, you know, doesn't root for any particular team. He doesn't show any shades of bias. Uh, but obviously, it depends on who you ask. And I, as a broadcaster, it's so hard to really be biased if you're calling a game independent of rooting interest. Obviously, if I'm calling a game for the Rivets, I want the Rivets to win, sure. But if I'm pulling up to call some random high school football game, I don't have a rooting interest. And I think that's how Joe Buck and these national broadcasters approach their job. So it it frustrates me so much whenever anybody says, oh, Joe Buck hates the Cubs. No, he doesn't. You really think Joe Buck cares who wins this game that he's broadcasting? No, he's, he's getting paid millions of dollars to be here he's broadcasting baseball like he's having fun and doing a pretty good job at least in my opinion and 
I don't think we need any more podcastification of baseball broadcasts. Baseball is naturally conversational. You have the right amount of conversations generally. I'm not a fan of when they even bring in players for mid-inning interviews. Hate it. I, I think that's that's kind of stupid. It takes away from the game. It makes it harder to call the action and really add stuff to the broadcast, and it distracts the players. I don't think that's good, and I think having any sort of alternate stream kind of adds the podcastification. I think it's fine for stuff like the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game because it's trivial, but even regular season games and especially playoff games, we don't need more clutter. And I think that's all a baseball broadcast with Barstool would be. Clutter. Yeah. Gambling. What's the line? What's the over-under? Oh, is this going to hit? Is that going to hit? Maybe I'm different because I don't gamble. But I'd, I just don't I don't think it'd be productive. I don't think it'd be something that I'd watch. Yeah, no, I love how you said that baseball is conversational because I'm thinking about Joe Buck in particular – and, you know, I'm around a lot of Cubs fans, and that is kind of the narrative uh, from Cubs fans that they think, you know, he's a St. Louis guy. He doesn't like the Cubs. And so they, a lot of Cubs fans generally don't like Joe Buck. But then I think about my favorite Joe Buck calls and what he does good at. He does good at finding the moments when it's best not to say anything. And his best calls are when, you know, history just plays out. And when you can see what's happening in live time and, and you can have that conversation with yourself about what's going on. And I'm thinking a bar stool with all that clutter and all that, you know, I, I just think it would take away from the game itself. I think it would take away from the enjoyment of watching a baseball game. It's like, it's like a bar stool golf stream. <laughs> like I would kind of hate that in the same way. Like I want to see, you know, you know, they're thinking in, in between pitch, you know, I like hearing Steve Stone talk about what pitch that was and why he might be throwing that. And I like hearing Benetti bring up the stat cast, you know, spin rates but I don't want to hear about, you know, the over under on how many foul tips are going to be in the inning. I just think it's kind of, for me at least, stuff that's just taken away from the game. And I think that's just kind of, it would dilute the quality of the broadcast. 100%. I think we're in agreement there. And I will say that I'm not a huge Barstool hater. I, I don't take in a ton of their content anymore. I'm a big fan of part of my take. It's a great oh, yeah. podcast, but that's oh, pretty yeah. much the only barstool content that I actively take in. I think Big Cat is hilarious. I think PFT Commenter gets it. Those guys are good. That's pretty much all I'll watch. Yeah. Um, and I will say I will watch their football bowl broadcast, at least for a little bit, out of curiosity to kind of see how they handle that because it's interesting. I'm interested. Um, considering that's kind of the business that I'm going into. I want to see where is this moving and is, is this the future? I don't know. It might be. And if it is, we all got to adapt, but I just, I don't think it's something that would be super beneficial or add to a baseball broadcast. Like you said. Yeah. I'm in that same, I think I'm maybe a little more open to the gambling part of it. I'd, I'd absolutely love to see what it's like for the the football games. Um, but yeah, I just can't, I just can't imagine it. Me enjoying the bar stool the barstool effect sprinkled onto a baseball game. Oh man. Well, I, I think we checked that box in resounding fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Last segment. I think Lucas here is something I want to do every week on the podcast. It's something I bring up on my broadcast a lot. This date in baseball history. And since we're a weekly podcast, we'll do this week in baseball history. And we'll start with August 8th, which was yesterday. We're recording this late at night on 
August 9th. But there's a lot going on on August 8th in the state in baseball history. Um, we'll throw it back to 1976. The Chicago White Sox took the field for game one of a doubleheader wearing shorts. Yeah, that, if you look up the pictures of that, it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Like, I think they had collars too. They were collared jerseys and then they had shorts for pants. And it, I don't know who like approved that. Who said, yeah, this is what we should be doing. This is Bill Vec, man. Bill Vec. He he thought outside the box. That's something I kind of respect about Bill Vec. Kind of an idiot, he seemed at times, (laughs) like a, a crazy maniac with the disco demolition night and all that. But it worked at the end of the day. We're still talking about it. It's 2021. That happened yeah. in 1976. I like to think that uh, 51-year-old Minnie Minoso, who was on the White Sox that year in 76, I think he was maybe the spearhead of that. thought he wanted a little breathability for his uh, elder legs. Yeah. Do you think those guys went in the locker room and, and cut up their jerseys in protest? Yeah, right. I, I think maybe Chris Sale's ancestor was on the team. <laughs> Oh, man. Can you imagine, though? I, and I, I heard talk of maybe the White Sox or somebody bringing a look like that back. And this might have been a Northwoods League thing. I think it was. The Rivets played a game in Kalamazoo a few months ago, last month, I think, where it was a league of their own night. And Kalamazoo had a um, girls' professional baseball team, the same time as the Rockford Peaches during World War II. And so they made custom Rockford Peaches and Kalamazoo Lassies jerseys. And somebody told me they wanted to make the jerseys with skirts. <laughs> and they were going to have the players wear skirts. But it didn't work out. I'd, really, I'd be interested to see what it looked like or what it would look like if a team today took the field in shorts. Yeah, I'd want to listen go to, without the, skirts. to the post-game interviews of that. We, we're talking skirts. I'm trying to make the playoffs. We're talking skirts. You can see a good old uh, post-game interview like that coming from there. Can you imagine Tony La Russa running yeah. out to argue with the home plate umpire wearing shorts? There's like a little navy blue call. shorts and, and a collared uniform. Yeah, La Russa runs out of the dugout to protest the call. He's he's running in his skirt. just for, Looking like a mall walker. Fairy wings on. Yeah, you're right. A mall walker. <laughs> that is what baseball needs. We just we just saved baseball. Right? Bring back the skirts. Yes, yes. Can you imagine those memes? I mean, the Larusa memes already are so good. Yeah, but man, it's just because he doesn't belong. You take and, something and put him in a spot like that where he's just so out of yes everything else, out of out of touch, out of context. It seems out of the era. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just how old is that guy? Tony Larusa is like isn't seventy six. Like, 76, and he doesn't look a day younger than 85. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's probably gone through a gallon and a half of brown hair dye this year. Oh, man. If there's one guy who should not be, like, stressing himself out over a yeah. baseball game 162 days of a summer, it's that guy. His doctor did not approve of the hire. His doctor also didn't approve of him drinking and driving. Ooh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Larry man. Larson. Tony Russo, what a guy. <laughs> Anyways, back to this week in baseball history. 8-8-88. Cubs flipped the lights on at Wrigley Field. Talk about something that probably felt out of place then, but looks very much in place now. 
You're still cracking up the total uh, It's because I can hear Will laughing through the wall about <laughs> that joke. That was good. That was good. That one, it's one of those where you just kind of have to accept it. On Tony's behalf, I'll, I'll take the brunt of that. Oh, God. And hold on. I guess we're opening the Tony LaRusso bag of worms here. He's done a good job. He knows how to win. But, but, why does he deserve a second chance after two DUIs? That's the thing that I always think about. Like, man, yeah. there, and there are so many other great options out there for manager. A.J. Hinch, who has really turned around the Tigers, who are also kind of a triple-A team, just like the Cubs. <laughs> and he's got them winning games. I mean, can you imagine what Hinch would have done with the White Sox triple-A team? They would have been just fine. But whatever. That's a whole yeah. other discussion. Yeah, they hired him like the day after he got arrested for his most recent one too. So they were just like, "All right, I don't care." They knew of it and just a bad look. What's bad decision what's the about. message that's sending? You know? Yeah, that's bad. Anyway, win. <laughs> Cubs lights Wrigley Field. Happier, it. happier days, right? Turn on Harry Carey, Steve Stone talking about lights at Wrigley Field <laughs> on August eighth, nineteen eighty eight. Fun fact: that wasn't actually the first game with lights at Wrigley Field. The game got rained out in the third inning, perhaps a sign. Um, and then the first official game with lights was on this date in 1988, August 9th. And the Cubs, I believe, lost to the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, that's a weird, just one of those things that if you didn't know about it, like you would never think, like, why is that a thing? I, I think I just learned about that, honestly, last year, that it was ever a thing. Really? The team just like didn't, they just didn't have the lights. And then they were talking about it on the broadcast yesterday. Where if um, the Cubs, I don't know what year it was that they were having a deep playoff run, but the 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 TV crews were or the TV companies were about to make them play at Comiskey because they needed to schedule a, a night game for the playoffs, but they didn't have lights installed, so they just can't play it. So they're like, "All right, well, we're gonna have like we're gonna force you to play it, you know, across town because we have to get these games in." But then yeah. they they didn't end up um, you know advancing or whatever it was. And yeah, I didn't. I had no idea that it was just like an alderman just didn't approve of it or or something like that. And just yeah, never something I don't really know the full background. I will say this is something I've been hearing about for as long as I can remember from my dad. My dad is vehemently opposed to anything new Wrigley Field. So expanded bleachers, video boards, jumbotrons you know, a different organ, expanded <laughs> seats, whatever. And especially, especially lights. Mm. My dad did not go to a night game at Wrigley field until this year. That's crazy. Which is, it's so hard for me to believe it's, it's so funny. You, you think of the, that, the typical baseball fan and that's my dad. What did that conversation go like getting him to finally go? Have you been asking him like for years to, you know, go to one that works for you? Well, it was funny because in the moment I, I had assumed that he had been to a night game. So I asked him on the way there. I said, when's the last time he went to a night game or Wrigley field? He said, never. It's my first time. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what? You can't <laughs> be serious. This, this whole thing isn't just an act. <laughs> like, and it, you know, I dragged him in there uh, begrudging begrudgingly um we we ended up getting the tickets we didn't buy the tickets um mm. so it just kind of worked out where i had a day off uh, and we ended up going to a cubs game on a night i had off which is not very often cool yeah. uh, so we kind of jumped on that opportunity and then it was a a bit of a personal moment and 
in baseball history for me, at least because like every time, like they show the jumbotron on TV or anytime we go to a game, he's like, Oh, can't believe they built that jumbotron. (laughs) And even like we'll be walking through seats or walking through the aisles. He'll turn to me and say, you notice how little aisle room there is, you know how many seats they've added here just because they're trying to get more money. And at the end of the day, He's kind of right. He's right. Yeah. <laughs> They're just trying to get more and more money out of us. And my my dad, he denies it, but he's more of a White Sox fan than a Cubs fan now. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. There because the White Sox are so affordable. They're a little more fan friendly. You get right off the highway. You turn left like twice and there's your easy parking. You can tailgate, bust out the grill, go in, get cheap tickets, watch some good baseball, especially this year, come out. Pull out of the parking lot, you're right back on the expressway and headed home. That's a rare but great type of fan where you just he's just going based off of enjoyment. Doesn't yes, have to it, pay too entirely, much. Entirely. Entirely. Yeah, and awesome. especially, and I understand that perspective because especially when I was a kid, and I can be considered by many still as a kid. Uh, we're sitting here still 21, but still when we'd go to games, all three of us, um, all five of us as a family, I've got two brothers. I mean, five baseball tickets, that's kind of expensive in yeah. a lot of cities. With the White Sox, it's very much affordable. And that's, those are the games that we went to, especially, I think, 2012 when the White Sox were pretty good. Even when the White Sox were kind of bad and rebuilding, we'd go to those baseball games just because it was more affordable than going to a Cubs game. We'd maybe go to one Cubs game a year. Maybe the whole family wouldn't go. You know, I'd go um, because I'm the foremost Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it would be far less frequent. Yeah, actually, in a similar sense, my dad, uh, he became a Sox fan because his Boy Scout group would always go to a Sox game every year. <laughs> and I guess I never thought about it, but I'm sure if the, you know, they did that because the Cubs were probably just a lot more expensive. If you got a whole group of Boy Scouts, then you're, and if you're even paying $10 more for a ticket, then that's probably a hundred, you know, 150 extra dollars for a group to pay for. So Shout out the White Sox for making my dad and then uh, therefore myself. There you go. That's it's, the reason I'm a fan too. I, I, I'm i always interested in hearing people's stories of how they got to be Cubs fans or White Sox fans or mm-hmm. whatever fans. And usually it's a family connection like that, which is neat. And sometimes there's an interesting story behind it. So I think that's one of those stories. My dad, you know, he just, his dad was a Cubs fan and you grew up watching the Cubs, and so so did I. Yeah. And uh, and <laughs> I think the funniest story of them all is my youngest brother is a Pirates fan. Out of nowhere. That's always been weird to me. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But like, it's like you think it's weird because it's different. No, it's weird because it's the Pirates. Yes. Like you, you it's, it's not a, like the, it's not like the Brewers. The Dodgers, are like kind of close. Yeah, like the Yankees be a typical like bandwagon fan, you know. Yes. They, the Yankees win. The Pirates, Pirate. About <laughs> it. They they were good for three years and lost in three state, straight years in the wild card game. Yeah. That's what they do. Maybe we'll have my brother on to tell the story of why he's a Pirates fan. Sometime. There we go. That'd be good. First interview, first guest. Yeah. <laughs> we get we got to work on that, man. I don't know if anybody, I mean, heck, this is episode two. If they've made it this far, I think they like hearing our voices, but I don't know how much longer people are going to take just us shooting the breeze for two hours. I don't yeah, know. we got some good stuff lined up for those who stick, stick with us. Hope you will. 
fingers crossed. We're thinking. I, I think that wraps it up, Lucas. Great episode. Had a lot of fun today, Larry. Yes, yes. And um, I swore a little bit more than I, I thought I would. <laughs> uh, apologize to, to those who weren't expecting that. I'll ask Will to edit out one of those F-bombs. I doubt he will, <laughs> though. Uh, I, I suppose that's a, a secret we'll find out in post-production. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, maybe next week we can start talking about a White Sox sweep again. It's and the Field of Dreams game and how, how cool it was for the White oh, Sox yeah. to beat the Yankees Ooh, in yeah. Iowa. Music to my ears. We got to manifest it right now. Mm. Joe Buck saying the White Sox win and reading some sort of soliloquy about baseball in Iowa and America. I'm looking forward to to watching that when I get yeah. a chance. Yeah, it'll be a good uh, – yeah, something we've never seen before, something new to the MLB. Which is which is rare. Yeah, right, right exactly. <laughs> All right, yeah, one. that wraps it up. So that's uh, episode two. Thanks for listening. This was Hit by Bob. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run.